That's the least of this movie's problems. Well, <laughs> That's actually interesting. Blur <laughs> two. You're gonna you're gonna cry when that's number five on my list. <laughs> Why don't we always save these things for the for the podcast? From Los Angeles, it's the McShank Podcast on the McCarran Podcast Network. Here's Ryan and Clayton. Welcome to the McShank Podcast on MPN. Big time of year, very exciting time. Would you not agree? MPN. <laughs> I never thought of it. Subsidiary of WNBC. WNBC. Ryan, I am doing fantastic. Good. This is a, this has been a long time coming. It is. I'm and happy we're able to sit down. I, I don't think I have to tell you this is the eighth year we've sat <sighs> down to do this. It's like one more than seven like it was last year. It's crazy. Yeah. One less than, than nine. And how many without Mike? That's the time of year we're really happy about, to not have Mike Baroga here. <laughs> to sully well, what has become such a tradition in Well, Baroga would take our barely reputable names and drag them in the filth and the shit <laughs> to the point where they're barely less reputable. God, if only he were alive to hear these things. <laughs> I would feel really bad about that if he was alive. <laughs> Well, Ryan, uh, I don't think I have to tell you this. Is one of my no. favorite days of the year. I I would agree when I do this with you. And since now we are an old podcast married couple, yeah, I'd say I want to propose something for this year and oh. all future years. Okay, we already know the love of conversation around yeah. film. Oh, we love it. I want to take the old married couple part a little more seriously and get a little more bitter. Take it behind the middle school and get it pregnant. And then, <laughs> no? I mean, that's, that was my experience in middle school. Okay. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know that we had that in common. Well. I say we start arguing more. What? With especially, I mean, we agree on most things. If the movies don't, unless the movies have Gungans and Metachlorians in them. <laughs> We typically agree on most things, so this probably well, won't what, happen very much. True, but that's what got us in in the first place. That's mm-hmm. kind of what brought us together in the first place. Was right. our, our our it was Batman Begins, if I remember correctly. Batman Begins, and and do you remember they had to do that? You had to like unlock something to see the first image of the Joker. It was like yeah, some weird online, marketing. Yeah, yeah, some weird viral yeah. marketing. And I remember we really flipped our shit over that. I'm still flipping my shit over. Uh, that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, long as that, that's when we started doing the podcast eight years ago. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, no, they were doing that shit when we were in college. Remember, this was like oh, yeah, a year was probably, or two before yeah, it yeah. even came out. Yeah, that was exciting. And The Dark Knight, my number one movie of two thousand eight. Oh, I wish we had had a podcast to confirm that <laughs> wasn't the case. I'm pretty sure I would remember. <laughs> I'm pretty sure pretty I was sure there. I remember. I'm pretty sure I was there. Yeah, were you though? You picked a great film. That just wasn't as good as The Dark Knight, and I can't hold that too much against you. And it's the recency bias, as yes, we were just talking that's about true. beforehand. We did we need to talk about that off mic, recency bias. But, but again, the arbitrary well, nature of these lists, how do you compare Milk and The Dark Knight yeah. in any terms other than their own film? Yeah. Pretty much. No, that's about it. Screenplays. These lists are stupid. We should just go home right now and pack their shit just up. Just turn it off, everybody. No, don't really. Don't do that. You're in for a treat, as usual. We haven't finished our six, our six beers yet. All right, well... So you want to, you want us to argue more? We just kind of did right there. I, I just want to, I just want to argue more about things we definitely don't agree on. Okay, so there will be zero concessions. It's going to be a line in the sand. Well, 
heavily defended, of course. Well, I mean, there's yeah. no there's no baseless accusations. If there's something I know about myself is that I am great at defending things. <laughs> so you take very <laughs> undefendable positions. <laughs> it's true. You should go back. I was listening to. Do you remember we did a podcast? And this is completely off topic. This probably could have been done earlier. Uh, our favorite scenes we ever did. I remember that very clearly. I see. I had totally forgotten about that. And like my friend Marcelo was there, and I didn't remember that. And I just and I I was. It was almost like it was discovering a new podcast. For the I first remember time. even that great anecdote you had with your grandfather. Oh, about watching. Would you care mo- to tell me what about, it was? Okay, well, if you forgot, I'd be happy to. <laughs> but it was it was good. Okay. And, and if you care. Check out the McStroga cast from about four years I'll ago. I'll have to try to post those somewhere because those are... Oh, I have them all. Okay, there we go. We'll post them up. So, okay. All right. So, we're going to try to try to argue a little more. Second of all, I think that uh, in order to expedite the process, uh, we're going to... If we have a matching movie on the lists, uh, we're just going to try to get all our points out at one time. And uh, We love to meander. We, we love, do. We, we love to ramble about things we're We do, and that's about. what make, gives it its charm, it I is. think. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, just I think it's easy if we just, if we have points, let's, you know, don't hide them and, oh, no, I'm going to save this one. No, just, just, let's just do it. Let's just, get it out just there. air it out. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we'll go over our, we'll go over our tens. We'll do a, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll run through some honorable mentions probably at the end, but don't hold me to that because we've said that before and then we've ended before then too. So, um, <laughs> So, anything else? Anything else you want to spring on me while we're here on hot mics? Hot mics. I will say that last year was definitely weaker than this year. Um, there are a lot of films on last year's yet list that I really, really have affection for, and on this year's list, I think my top five films could all be number one films in any given year. Um, I saw a very psychologically satisfying fifty films this year, and. All but one of them I enjoyed in various yeah. aspects or in total. Yeah. Um, I think it was a very strong year. I think 2013 was the other very strong year in years past. But uh, I had the most difficult time arranging my list this year that I've had in quite some time. Um, but I agree with you. I, I, I will agree with you that there were a, there was a lot of shuffling, and I have a list of maybe 20 films that I... I could probably make a really good top ten list with the stuff that didn't make my list. Right. And it could probably, it's probably somebody's top ten list out there with movies that didn't quite make the cut. Right. Um, so those are my, and, um, so we're gonna obviously switch off back and forth. Um, and, uh, I think this is a good spot to say, Clayton, why don't you take it away with your number ten movie yeah, well, of the year? I would love to, Ryan. And out of all the number eleven films on my list, there's probably ten. They're all vying for the spot that my number 10 has. And even though the Academy loves to remind us every year that whatever makes us laugh can't be art, I am going to give this film its due justice and give it its place in the sun. Uh, figuratively, of course, because literally that would kill them. My f- number 10 film is What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, I thought you were going to say Minions. <laughs> minions. <laughs> Does the sun also, kill the Minions? I don't know. I, I can only... Uh, the minions. My producer is shaking her head no. So our our resident minion expert is saying no. (laughs) So my number ten film is what we do in the shadows. Uh, It is it's far none the funniest film I saw this year. It minimalist ingenuity, uh, extremely memorable characters, surprisingly good visual effects, and 
comedy is live or die. It's, it's such an easy barometer with comedies to see if they work for you. How much did you laugh? And what did you think of the laughs? Were they creative? Were they cheap? Whatever. And this has the funniest moments in the year for me. Have you seen this film? I have. Okay. Yes. There, <laughs> I love how there's four vampires. They're each from different periods of history. One of them's like a Lothario. One of them is literally modeled after Nosferatu. Mm -hmm. one, one of them is more of a dandy. <laughs> and they each have different remedies for how things should go based on what time they lived in. Jermaine uh, Clement, one of the directors and actual stars, his his character was from the Middle Ages, and he thinks they should remedy household chores by just, let's get some slaves. <laughs> and deadpan is the name of the game in this film. Everything is said with such a straight face, and it works wonderfully. And this movie contains the funniest line of the year involving the word sandwich. I don't know if you remember, remember this line, no, but no. it has to do with when they bring a couple of virgins to the house in the beginning. And it's at least the funniest line involving the word sandwich since Marty DeBerge relayed the alternate title of Shark Sandwich to Spinal Tap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this film. It's actually a sly immigrant story to boot. Uh, it takes place in New Zealand, something that none of us are really familiar with, the stateside. Um, it's 85 minutes, and they shot 120 hours of footage, and mostly of just them improvising and yeah. riffing off each other. Um, I I hear that there is a sequel in the works focusing on the vamp on the werewolves yeah. in the film. Do you see the title? What we do in the moonlight, and uh, I'm in. I don't think it could possibly be as good as this, but I'm in. I I love this film, and uh, it's the it's one of the little indies that could for me this year. I thought that, and this was I think this movie, I I I did find it funny, but I kind of thought that it suffered a little bit because. I don't know what there's this weird run of like indie movies or they were just playing it at the mm -hmm. theater that we go to a lot. But I must have seen that trailer like ten times. I never saw the trailer. Yeah. And to me it It gave away the Yeah. Oh. It was unfortunate that that it that it gave away some of the better bits. Like right. I felt like it, it had some fun. So you didn't see it nearly fresh. No, I didn't. And I still enjoyed it. We actually saw it uh with a Q and A with Taika Watiti and mm -hmm. Jermaine Clement. Oh cool, yeah. So we saw it there, and uh, and they were both very. I mean, they're hilarious. Of yeah. course, love Jermaine from Flight of the Concords, but yeah. Um, so I mean, I enjoyed it, but mm -hmm. I didn't think that it was any that it, that it didn't maybe give any sort of new blood to the genre that it was having. You know, the mockumentary sort of thing. Um, oh, I thought it totally so. did. I mean, I can't think of anything like this really. Uh, but yeah, and I mean, it's it's really. I mean, comedies are so subjective, like mm -hmm. everything. Either yeah. you, you laughed hard or you didn't, and we all bring our own yeah. our own criteria of what's funny to a given movie. Well, speaking of bringing a similar criteria, I have the 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 tenth spot is so weird because the tenth spot for me is always sort of an honorary, like enjoyable movie, one that maybe yeah, it's the king. Get, it's the king speech. It, yeah, it didn't get a critical acclaim or anything like that, but it just I really enjoyed it. Or maybe it's usually reserved for the best summer movie or the best. Obviously, Oscar bait movie that is Oscar bait and good, but doesn't really isn't really memorable. Right. In the so, long term. so when I say that this movie got snubbed for, I mean all the Oscars, I think you'll agree that Magic Mike XXL certainly deserves to be in the conversation. The only surprise I have right now is that it's not farther down your list. <laughs> you mean further up? For, further no, towards for, one? Further towards one? Okay. After your radiant My text ringing message. endorsement of it. <laughs> Because this was the most fun 
in a theater that I think I had this year. Just in terms of and 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 it didn't even have to do with like the quality of the film. It was that, but it was also coupled with the people that were in the theater with me, sure. who were just. I mean, it was a party. Like it was, it was short of like everybody doing shots. The and screen confetti. was the screen was the stage. Basically, it really was, and, and it, it was a real. It was a real uh, Chippendales crowd, and their laughs and claps were as good as dollar bills at this point. <laughs> like it was just so much fun. It's basically the fun movie that you thought the first one was going to be, but the mm-hmm. first movie. Ended oh, this up one's just... so much more about putting on a show. I yeah, mean, I saw it too, just because I. I got your endorsement, and there's no way I wasn't going to be a part of this conversation. No, I enjoyed it. It was fun, right? It was laugh out loud, funny. Yeah. Had a couple of the biggest laughs I had all year. Yeah. It has really some interesting things to say about female desire, too. I mean, it's like that's the lens it's looking through, and that's not a perspective we get normally. Jada Pinkett Smith, I thought, probably could have been a dark horse contender for Best Supporting Actress. I thought she was wonderful in that movie. I didn't think about that, but I think you're right. Um, But all the the cameos... I didn't even know it was her. Yeah, right? For a while. Mm -hmm. But the camaraderie between the the dancers, and, I mean, that's what makes it so fun, I think. And it's a road trip movie. It's such a simple... So how much for the water and the Cheetos? (laughs) It's a simple story. Exactly. And that scene in the mini-mart with Joe Manganiello... That's worth the price of admission alone. Oh, it really is. And I think that's one scene that I'll definitely remember fondly. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't justify putting it ahead of some of the films I have to come. But um, that's a – sorry, that was a weird euphemism. But um, but Magic Mike XXL, if it ever comes to a theater or if it ever is playing on a bigger screen – I mean, even if you're watching it at home with seven or eight people, yeah. it's just a fun communal – Experience and I, 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 I just really yeah. enjoyed it. To put a nice little bow on this uh, Magic Mike love, uh, I I read critic Wesley Morris's review. He's a really good critic, <laughs> yeah. Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. critic from and Grantland, and now from Grantland. New York Times. Yes, exactly. And he had such he was dead on with what we we're talking about. His he he loved the film and his. He made a big point about talking about female desire, like I mentioned, how this movie is a real surrogate for that, for people in the audience. And his closing line is one of the best closing lines of any review I've read in a really long time. He said, uh, after, Mike X- after, after Magic Mike XXL, I didn't leave the theater hard. I left wet. <laughs> <laughs> amen. Well, amen. cheers to you, Wesley. <laughs> Wherever <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Did you do research in advance knowing that that was probably going to be on my list? I just remember shit I like. Okay. Gonna, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. What's your number nine? <laughs> number nine. Uh, so what we do in the shadows was a, a, a pleasant surprise for me. And another pleasant surprise was that Creed is actually the best film in the Rocky series since Rocky. Rocky Four. I haven't seen all of them, so I don't know. Aww. I know. There was that whole '80s gap. That's unfortunate. Well, Rocky Four was where basically Rocky wins the Cold War. Oh, I saw for Rocky America. Four. I've okay. seen Rocky Four and I've seen Creed. Those okay. are the only two that I've seen. So, if you've seen Rocky Four, you saw the point. Maybe it could have happened earlier, but where the series descended into full-on parody of itself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Creed is easily the best since the '76 original, mm-hmm. and you don't really get to say that about many seventh films and franchises. Um, well, I can think of one. <laughs> Play it on me. Star Wars. Uh, I mean, it's not as it's good, not as, good I mean, as the first. It's not as good as Empire. It's not as good as Empire, but I mean, the fact that it came out forty years later and it's still 
still top three in the in true. The, I, I like that that, that film was at the forefront of your mind because I yeah. didn't even put that together. Seventh film. That's boom. That's right there. Okay. <laughs> right. Yes. Creed takes a much smaller, humbler kind of character portrait route, and it actually there's a lot of the same elements in the movie. I mean, we get you know we get the classic training montages. We get the we get like the running in the streets. You know, we get the Rocky score, but it all feels so earned in this movie. Is just opposed to inevitable like the other films had like when they these things do happen it's a it's a genuine delight because i feel like we've we've earned it at this point you know we've uh we've throughout the film we we we've bled with adonis creed we've shared his passion his naivety and even when it gets to that this devastatingly raw and uh, confession at the end of the film before the moment of truth like it just registers all the more for it um, and Stallone, like he's, he's. It's time he hangs up this, this expendable shit, man. He needs to start doing roles like he does in this film, because I haven't enjoyed Stallone in this film. I don't know, maybe maybe one of the Rocky movies. I have no idea, but this is the first Rocky film in the franchise he hasn't written mm-hmm. or directed. And uh, here's something that's crazy: he is the same age in Creed as Burgess Meredith was in the first Rocky wow. film, sixty nine. Yeah, that nice. kind of that kind of took my breath away. Um, That's amazing. I mean, he's had a lot of work done. <laughs> I don't think he looks, doesn't really look like Burgess Meredith would have looked at you know, that point. Burgess but... looked his age. Yeah, and yeah. Rocky looks and Stallone looks like beef jerky. <laughs> mm, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but, but I I love this film. I think it was a, a crowd pleaser in the truest sense of the word, and it kind of brought back that that love that was at the beginning of the Rocky series that most younger kids probably wouldn't have tapped into yet. I really love the slow motion scene when he's running with all the guys, when they have established all the bikes, all the motorbikes that are on the, on the street oh, yeah. when he's going and he's running with them and Puts he's punching spin on that. Yeah. And he's yelling thing, and yeah. screaming and he's got you, but you can't hear anything. And then, he sees Rocky in the window, and he's just going like, come on, yeah. He just makes you want it. Just like, ah, oh, stand up and cheer. It was, right. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it, too. Really good. And, and Stallone, with his recent Oscar nomination, it's the second time he's been nominated for playing Rocky Balboa after the first film. And it actually hasn't happened since uh, Paul Newman did it with uh, Fast Eddie and The oh, Hustler yeah, and Color, Color of, Money. of Money. It's only mm-hmm. happened five times in, in history. Mm. The, same actor's been nominated for the same role twice. So. Now, do you think that Stallone can continue to do things? Because I feel like the only time he ever gets any recognition is when he's playing Rocky. Like, you say, <laughs> okay, yeah, hang up all the expendable shit, but, like, mm. I don't know, Expendables 2 was fun. I, I, I enjoyed it. it. It wasn't the best movie. He didn't get the best performance. But it mm-hmm. seems like he really, he has this weird... He wants to have one foot in doing these emotional Rocky movies and wants to have another foot in, like, I'm still an action star. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Do you think that he can use this momentum and be Academy Award winner Sylvester mm-hmm. Stallone in a movie and, and carry a movie mm-hmm. and have that emotional weight without playing I think he, I, think, I think he can take roles his age and inject some type of real humanity into him. I mean, yeah, it's he might only get his chance in a, in a, in a Rocky movie. Mm-hmm. That's an entirely different matter. But yeah. I, don't, I think he showed in this movie that he's got some, some actually some emotional depth that can come out once in a while, given the right material. So when, well, a, when he wins the Oscar, when Escape Plan 2 comes out, <laughs> uh, Academy uh, Award winner, Sylvester yeah. Stallone. Stars in, yeah, stars Starring in, in Escape Plan 2. Escape yeah. Plan 2, yeah. yeah. Well, my number nine is... Uh, Ex Machina, mm. a movie that uh, once somebody at work I talked to 
she was really excited about the movie Ex Machina. Did you see Ex Machina? Yeah, I got that a lot too. So, I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, but this movie really, it turns out that you can do interesting, original, cool sci-fi right. with the footnote of as long as it's not done by the Wachowskis. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard sci-fi. We've actually been getting some good hard sci-fi movies as of late. Right, it makes me excited for Midnight Special coming I'm in March. I'm really excited yeah, about Midnight Special. that's going to be great. That seems like it might be in a similar type of vein as totally. this movie. Um, Absolutely. But, I mean, it's a star-making turn for Alicia Vikander. Mm-hmm. Star-affirming turn for Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. Um, and Domhnall Gleeson, I guess, for that matter. Yeah. Um, Are we going to talk about the year that Domhnall Gleeson has had? Yeah, I, I wrote that on here in parentheses. It's coming. The Revenant, Brooklyn, yeah, Ex Machina, and Star Wars, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Yeah, but you can argue Alicia Vikander had a very similar type of year. She was in The Man from Uncle. She was in Ex Machina. She was in The Dance Girl, and she was in Burnt with Bradley Cooper. So she was in four films too. Right. Different type of quality spread out there, but I mean, but still though, I mean, you you, you could make that argument that they both just had wonderful years. Right. Um, Interesting biblical undertones with this movie in that it takes place over seven days, Mm -hmm. you know, creating the the earth allegedly in seven days. Mm -hmm. The characters' names all have biblical names. Yeah, they all have biblical names, and yeah, I mean that's that, that that that's an interesting tie in with this visual effects heavy sci-fi thriller sort of amalgamation that it becomes and it right. sort of comes out the other side as just this really gripping and beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful film really beautiful film. um in every facet i would i would say i'm happy it got the nomination for visual effects yeah because it's, it's up a, against it's a small film it is it's up against movies that are like 10 times the movie cost yeah. practically and have 10 times the effects yeah so i think that's this one should be should be sought out really really um, interesting in terms of the questions it, it it poses about humanity and about artificial intelligence and and so many different factors. Uh, and again, one of the funniest scenes in the entire of the entire year was the dance the dance off basically. Yes. So yes, yes. Um, that that again is is worth seeing. Uh, I think pure delight. Yeah. So number nine, Ex Machina. I think right. you will enjoy it if you seek it out. Yes, I cannot argue with Ex Machina. My number eight is It Follows, and Ryan, I can already feel the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I saw this. I was with you. Damn it, you were. <laughs> I was, I don't know if I was right next to you, but I was at least two people apart from you. So you got to experience. I could feel your uh, your knee-jerk reactions to various things happening in the film. I will tell which you. Which you then cleverly tried to mask as like some physical tick that you already have or something. <laughs> I will tell you, it was my favorite horror movie of the year. Ask <laughs> in, me how many I've seen. Of one. Ask me how many I've seen, Clayton. <laughs> well, it depends on how many bad movies you've seen. How many horror, horror movies? Films of, their, of themselves. How many horror movies did I see this year, Clayton? One. <laughs> you want to know what right. it was? And it I, follows. And you were in a party of eight that actually convinced you to go <laughs> i actually i did like it though you i liked it right i did like it, it was, i did it was like doing it. some good things it um, was a, it was a i don't like scary films but i yes. did enjoy it mm-hmm. i did enjoy it you, I'll you, you, you just it. you know you had that recessive gene i don't like ginger <laughs> what you don't like seeing horror films so you don't like ginger like no. at a sushi restaurant no. you don't just eat i eat a clump i would eat a clump of ginger. so is my fiance but i almost gag every time she does because oh, i just don't have that gene that appreciates about ginger? G- ginger ale what if they mash it Enough up? Enough sugar into an in ale. it, I'll drink anything. Oh, fair enough. Uh, but I would 
pay to see the grin on director David Robert Mitchell's face when he actually came up with the plot to this film. Something that just completely inverts every horror film trope that we know to be true, in which teenagers have to have sex to stay alive, as opposed to, oh, they're about to die. (laughs) And what we really get is a slasher as STD metaphor (laughs) that really opens up some really interesting moral dilemmas. Uh, if you had to have sex to pass, and stay with me here, in, okay. th- in theory. I'm in. If you had to have sex to... But I'm in. You're totally in. I don't care what it is. Okay. If I have to have sex, I'm in. <laughs> I don't care what, I don't care the consequences. I, that's it. After your reaction to this film, I highly doubt that. <laughs> no, if you had to have sex to okay. stop an assailant that could not be stopped, and the only way that you could temporarily stop him was to have sex, to pass it along to someone else in kind... That's one way this thing will stop. The other thing, the other way is after you're dead. Would you do it? Would you act in your basis sense of survival? Or would you pay it forward? I have to run it by my wife first. <laughs> Casey, okay. what should I do? Have sex with complete strangers is the only answer to this. <laughs> You'd understand, right? It's like save the, to save myself. There's, there's such a... <laughs> I, she's behind me, but... I think I don't need to be looking at her right now. The the metaphysical dread that this movie is able to achieve is directly related to this premise in which we never know who is coming to kill the, the character at what time. Is it somebody she knows, somebody she loves? Is it a complete stranger? And that makes any time a close-up is used almost suffocating and just deliciously nerve-wracking. And whenever we actually get a wide shot... It's like a grace note where we can actually scan the screen and be like, when is this shit going to happen next? Yeah. And that was exhausting throughout the course of the <laughs> film. But I loved it because I can't think of many films that have me that engaged visually. Um, I know some people had trouble with like the eternal, the eternal logic of the movie in some areas and how it maybe doesn't follow its own rules. But I just I found so much joy in the actual conceit mm-hmm. of the film that... Everything else just washed over me. Uh, I I really appreciate how there's never a defined era this is taking place in. It kind of feels like a mashup. There's technology cues, like a lot of the cars seem to be from the 60s and the 80s, where a lot of great slasher films happened. Some of the technology is more modern, like there's cell phones in the in the great introduction, and there's like an e-reader shown at one point. It's just kind of this vague area the film operates in. Um, and just to, to close on this, I love somebody was doing a Q and A with the director uh, David Robert Mitchell, and they asked him what lengths this creature would go to to follow somebody, and he said, "Oh, yeah, it it could potentially board a plane in order to follow somebody." Wow, that's <laughs> like, frightening. That's like uh, Red Eye mixed with It Follows. Ryan, what? It Follows is my number eight. Wow. Am I looking around me right now, scanning the horizon? <laughs> you tell the crowd. <laughs> well, my number eight, you're good. I don't see anybody following you. Casey's behind me. Well, Churro is behind that's me. That's true. Can, can it be a dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, my, lightening it up. <laughs> um, light, uh, prepare ship. Uh, okay. My number eight is Kingsman, the Secret Service. Oh, good pick. And I will say this, 
if you want to hear an in-depth analysis of Kingsman the Secret Service. <laughs> Don't you dare shamelessly plug. You can listen the to The only ep- time of the year you cheat on me in movie podcasts. <laughs> the, you can listen to an episode of MBN from February. Hey, I'm keeping the old married podcast couple theme going here. Give you don't know what i do without you. <laughs> my much. life is my business. <laughs> I know what you do and it's not much. <laughs> Casey and I talked about this. We did talk about Kingsman the Secret Service. But in a nutshell... It's a film, it's expertly directed by Matthew Vaughn. It's one of his best movies, really. Um, It not only slyly spoofs the spy movie genre, but I think it admirably places itself firmly aside one of the the great spy movies. Right. Um, And having watched, it's been on, on cable lately, and we just have it flicked on and everything like that. And it's just so, it's just so, it's kind of zany in a serious sense. But you it, you don't you don't ever really think like oh my gosh this is ridiculous no it's just you you are on board with it for the whole entire film and um, I think that's pretty evident of the directing I think the mm-hmm. directing brings you into this world immediately where people can just be cut in half cleanly with knife blades on your right, legs right and you're just like okay that's just that, that's how this movie's gonna go knife girl yes that's that's just how it is and this is what this mm. world is and so people's heads can explode with colorful blood trails and you know you can i mean all, all sorts of wonderful things wonderful music choices and um it's great i so. never realized how much i wanted to see colin firth shoot someone in the head until I saw this film. Yeah. In fact, I'm just going down the list of great scenes. Well, the, the scene in the church is, yeah, that, I mean, is an all-time all scene. Time. At least a candidate for an all-time scene. Yeah. Because I don't know if I saw a more riveting stretch of four or five minutes all year than I did in The Kingsman. Just one shot. I mean, for the most part, they, they do I'm sure cut away digitally, a couple times. digitally masked, I'm sure. But it all feels like one extended take. Didn't you just want to play Guitar Hero when you heard Freebird, though? Didn't oh, you, did your fingers just kind of start play guitar playing, hero. A cu- playing play, acoustic? Play Guitar Hero with an Uzi. <laughs> so number eight is Kingsman, The Secret I, Service. I also really like how the Samuel L. Jackson's villain character is... The whole plan is just felt eerily plausible to me. Yeah. How if, like, whenever the New World Order convenes, they're, they know global warming is a legitimate threat, and something could happen catastrophic. I mean... It's absurd, but yeah, yeah. it's grounded in something plausible, yeah. I think. Which I well, and enjoyed. our reliance on technology and right. the fact that everybody's got to yeah. oh, get a free phone and a free SIM card and all right. you know, and, and this is going to be make it make it all free for everybody and right. and everything. But pain it's not me to leave that off my list. The first three films I saw this year were Kingsman, Mad Max, and Ex Machina. It was a wow. great start to the year. Solid. I yeah. Twenty fifteen. I love you. <laughs> My number seven film. Where are you, number seven? Yeah. We're, we're doing pretty well. We are moving along here. My number seven film is The Walk, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Bobby. Bobby Z. Bob Z. Bob Z. Uh, every time the subject matter has been released, it's captured the imagination of the public. You go from the event itself, uh, you go to Philippe Petit releasing a more of a children's book about his story later called To Reach the Clouds that won some prestigious literary award. You go to James Marsh's excellent documentary Man on Wire, which won the Oscar in 2008. And you get Zemeckis' more dramatic narrative approach that kind of combines the two, in a sense. And I loved it. Um, I may be a little biased 
potentially. <laughs> Why don't you tell us your bias? I, I have I, rose-colored glasses were not really... It wasn't a thing to contend with. It was just something to accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first thing I ever worked on in the industry, and I didn't think it was ever going to come out because it you, got shelved for six I was years. Say, but you worked on it in a different sense because when you were working on it, it was... Being, it was a pitch. It was a pitch, but it was specifically mm-hmm. going to be a mocap vehicle the right fo- the form was different because yeah. the budget was supposed to be a lot higher mm-hmm. it was supposed to be much more experimental a lot of different art styles in play all the way from 2d hand-drawn to motion capture to even like an, an impressionistic kind of art form and with a budget of around 60 million which the mech has finally got after going to uh, international sources it's more of a traditional narrative film with with motion capture and I think that was fine. I, it's it's something that's so just old fashioned and charismatic about this film. The way he tells it, it's you know, he's kind of used some cinematic sandpaper and polished off the rough edges of Philippe Petit a little bit, which we could get into and tarnish your view of him after the story is over. Um, but he kind of gives us a follow your dream kind of story. It's a PG film with something we don't get a whole lot of these days. Yeah, that is odd. You know, you get... that's not animated. Yeah, you know, and. Everything about the story, I think, works. It just it's breezy. It zips along. Um, whimsical. It, it, That's the word I would use for yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Very whimsical. Very whimsical. It it the story itself for those unfamiliar is Philippe T. His dream was to hang his wire on the World Trade Center twin towers when it was still being constructed, and well, it's the only way he could do it because security, but. He wanted to do that and walk across. Like, that was his dream, and he did it. He assembled a team, traveled to America from France. They did this coup, as he keeps calling it, and they somehow, against all odds, did this without him dying, <laughs> which he was fully prepared to do. It's it's probably a candidate for the, the greatest piece of performance art of the 20th century. And it's just also an endearing love letter to New York and, and the towers, and it's kind of strange that this is where that came from but it just kind of gives you a lump on your in your throat by the time it's over it is interesting to see them again in that context because for they're so well rendered and realized yeah and for a long time that was kind of their legacy Mm -hmm. you know they were these big towers i mean they've been attacked before after this but like yeah i feel like for a long time it was like oh yeah those are the towers that philippe t walked across (laughs) like that it was such a huge huge cultural even thinking about it is incredible i mean that's kind of why this movie zips along i think is because his his dream is extraordinary and it's something that only a slightly crazy person could even consider (laughs) i enjoyed the heist elements of it and that's essentially sort of what it devolves into in the second half is that you're going to get recon and you're going to, yeah. you know, you, oh, there, there's a problem at the last minute. You have right. to improvise and you do this, that, and the other. Um, I, I guess my, I, cause I, I really enjoyed it as well. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought that it was either, and maybe this hampered, I don't know, but it needed to be seen in IMAX. It had to be. Yeah. And it was, it was, it went very underseen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it did well critically. It had a bankable star, Joseph yeah. Gordon Levitt. It had, compelling subject matter but i don't know maybe it was a marketing because they did the, they or... did the thing where they released it like two or three weeks early in mm-hmm. imax 3d and imax 3d is expensive like it's it pricey it's, like, it's like probably about 25 a ticket almost, yeah somewhere around there some places and and so i just don't know if that maybe is going to bring the people out mm-hmm. in droves and then 
you're you it, the the movie you don't get the same feel from it if you see it in 2D or non IMAX. Yeah. I think it's a movie that demands to be seen, even if it's on TV. I feel if like you, if it's you're going not... to see it at all, yeah. I mean, I saw it at the Chinese and Laser IMAX, and it was just a thing of beauty. It really know? was. Oh, it was. I I loved it. I for the first time in my entire tenure in the industry. I felt like I'd been a part of something special, at mm-hmm. least on the feature film end of things, and it was just very affirming in so many ways for me. The Walk is my number seven. Good pick, Clayton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're a fan of transitional material here at the McShank Podcast. <laughs> my number seven... We just stopped talking about my number seven pick, correct? Oh, yeah. No, that's exactly what we stopped talking about. Oh, okay. We went right from one pick to the next. Cool. That's how this works. Understood. Yeah. Um, my number seven is Brooklyn. Mm. A, I realized something about myself, too. I don't know if it's just this particular year or if it's just something that I kind of – maybe I didn't know that I enjoyed so much. Maybe as, as I'm getting older and maybe <laughs> I sort of had my likes start to change a little bit. But I like people in movies that are – playing like people like real people right. doing stuff and they have like people problems and they're not you know being very you know gesticulating and wildly you problems know maybe we can relate to more now that we're getting yeah. older yeah i mean that and just i i don't i don't want a showy performance i don't want a showy sort of really big top sort of thing so you don't want late 90s al pacino that's what you're saying <laughs> well that's a whole different animal that tickles a whole other sense of me, really. Sorry to so, throw you off. Yeah. Please continue with Brooklyn. Um, but Brooklyn, it, it sort of falls in line. And this is a theme along with the, some of the rest of my movies is that it's just sort of – it's a very – I mean, it sounds almost offensive and not offensive, but it almost sounds derogatory to say it's a simple film. But it totally is. It's a good story. It's told very well. It's like an hour and 48 minutes. It's great. It's like a really good length. And Saoirse Ronan shows that she can have some depth and she shows that she can handle a mature um, role where she mm-hmm. plays and she's supposed to be playing maybe against type as somebody a little bit older who's maybe supposed to be living on her own. I mean, I think she's supposed to still be young, yeah. but she handles the role with so much maturity and grace and class. Yeah. And, right. that, um, and that was, I think... One of the main things, one of my main takeaways was her as Ailish. This movie was actually originally meant for a Rooney Mara starring vehicle. And uh, Ronan was too young at the time, I guess, um, when this movie was first getting greenlit and everything. But production stalled and stalled for so long that Mara left the movie. And the filmmakers always had Ronan in mind anyway when they were making this film. And it just so happened that it the production aged just as she aged and it worked out perfectly and it, and it worked out great i mean all the performances are really you know it, it, it's a very it's a i mean she's the one and dominant gleason you recognize but other than that it's kind of just a, a a real um it's a movie of simple pleasures yeah it's the 1950s and it's all soaked in the 50s the cars the fashion I mean, everything about it is just absolutely wonderful. Actually, a comparable experience this year was was Carol. It takes place in the same city. You know, you got a, a romance. Um, some would say controversial romance, mm-hmm. depending on who you're talking to, what culture. And you know, it takes place in the 50s. Yeah. And it's almost the same year, I think, even, too. And I prefer this movie to Carol, actually, by a lot. 
Um, it just it's such a breezy film that it's easier to embrace. It, it, it it's, earns you know? everything. Yeah, it, its characterization is great. It's got a, a insightful, punchy script. Um, it's nothing is in there that does not need to be in there. No, everything, it's, it's everything, tight. everything has a purpose. Everything is it's, just it's, yeah. It's got spirit. Yeah. You know, it it presents real culture dynamics in ways that are interesting i think um i i i also see a little bit of myself in the her and her uh eventual in, husband in ronan yeah yeah definitely i can see myself yeah. uh, welcome to the party pal <laughs> what i just dropped the diehard yeah oh i know you Brooklyn. did i just okay. want to make sure you were aware okay all right yeah no i i did <laughs> Rest in peace, Alan Rickman. Oh, um, happy trails, Hans. That's right. Uh, do you think he's falling when he's getting to heaven? Like, but he's falling up. Obviously, he's going to heaven. Do you think that? Yes, yes. Heaven would find a way to make him sort of fall go. Up. You know. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I think that I I can relate to the male lead in this movie as sort of that. He's so good. Hopeless so good. romantic, sort of really just. Is going, you know, I know you're probably not going to like this very much. He's so sincere. Yeah, he really is. You you keep waiting for him to become insincere, and he never does. Yeah, and you think that maybe, oh, the other shoe's going to drop, and he's going to be, you know. Or he's just a a playboy or something, breaks her heart. But no. No, it's just, it's it's an earnest film. Yeah. It looks beautiful. It's it's well-written. It's tight. It is just, it, it, it was a wonderful sort of splash of water i think right. to the face and uh and i really and we even watched it at home i, I feel like there's a distinct yeah, difference in watching a film at home and there is in the theater but it still works perfectly well when you're watching it at home for the first time right no i i th- this will show up later on my list as well uh i really came back to uh, emery cohen who plays the italian yeah that she's attracted to uh i, I love how she's warned about all the the stereotypes that come yeah. with Italians and and then you know she's not really seeing a whole lot of it yet but then she goes to meet his family yeah and practically everything that she was warned about is is true yeah. like that's when baseball comes up for the yep. first time that was part of it too and, yeah like and uh the wife of mine's gonna be a th- right. you be a Yankee fan <laughs> right yeah it's like you know where there's where there's smoke there's fire but it's it's he's still just the same person, but with these other th- things, you know, the cultural mm-hmm. things, and it it never feels false for no. one second. I I wrote in my review. I feel like you know whatever we think of Americana as whatever that encapsulates, like this movie just taps into that somehow and never relinquishes its grip for a second. It kind of like you could take stills from this film and it would be like one of those American photographs books that you find in your coffee table. Yeah. It just, it just has this, it, it's so effortlessly portrays then. Yeah. <laughs> that you feel like you are in a time machine. I'm telling it. you, it's like you jumped into the ocean and the ocean was the fifties and you came <laughs> out and you're like, Oh, I have the fifties all over me. Like that's right. just what this, that's, that's what it is. And, but you enjoy it. Right. So, Right, I mean, it received a standing ovation when it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, and I think that's kind of carried over into into Oscar time. Um, and uh, the last thing I'll say about it is uh, critics Scott Tobias had a really great line when he said, you know, my intellect keep want- kept wanting to push this film off my list, but my heart simply wouldn't let it. <laughs> and I think that sums it up pretty re- well. That, that really does. <laughs> I... Because I had th- th- this was also one that I moved around a little bit. I I, I I had I had a list where it was off and then on, and I said I just I just can't I I just can't leave it off. I just enjoyed it too much to think. Right. I would think back on this probably in five years and be like, 
damn, I wish Brooklyn was on my list. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. I've always liked Ronan, honestly. I mean, I saw, I saw Oh, you, you loved her in Hannah. I remember she's that. She's great in yeah. Hannah. Just, she's kind of the, not, I don't know if she's, you say she's the moral pulse of atonement, but she kind of is. I mean, she kind of has like more of a devious, naive turn in that movie that ends up being more melancholy, but did you see did you, I've never seen it. Oh. It's coming to Netflix in February, so I'm going to watch it then. You know when it's coming to Netflix, and yet you and you haven't seen Always. it. Well, to be fair, I just we talked about it before you got here. <laughs> Atonement's a great film. Yeah. I, I think you'll I think you'll appreciate it. But yeah, no, she's always been great, and I think this finally gave her that starring vehicle that will c- propel her into a full fledged actress. So, all great, right, great great pick. Thank you. My number six, I think, is probably the purest expression of. Uh, page turning storytelling this year, and that uh, I don't know how th- this uh, director's previous film was The Cobbler, <laughs> but maybe the greatest cinematic rebound in history to go from Cobbler to Spotlight. But that's what uh, Tom McCarthy has done, and I think that's worthy of discussion in and of itself. But let me I mean, find I, his filmography. Keep, keep <laughs> oh, uh, he did The Visitor, which I really like. He did uh, okay. he did Win Win, oh. a decent movie with Paul Giamatti. But he's done a number of of Sandler movies too, not just The Cobbler, right? Didn't he do others? I'm struggling, I'm to, I'm struggling to, to come up with one. I'll try to look it up. Uh, he's done some good stuff, um, but whereas I haven't even seen that film, but I just heard that basically. Oh, it's I heard it's wretched. I, I, basically, every instinct I heard is wrong in the movie, and that's <laughs> I'm, I'm content with that. Uh, I, What's I, the movie? By the way, I already said it. No, no. What's the movie that that he directed that you enjoy that's on your list? Spotlight. Oh, okay. <laughs> I said that. No, I said, Did I, you say I, that? I oh. said Spotlight. All right. Sorry. Sorry. God damn it! Open your fucking ears. <laughs> <laughs> it's always going to drop a Team America reference in, right? Um, 11 times I, of that. <laughs> speaking of nine eleven, uh, <laughs> oh. I. I, I <laughs> I, I, I honestly, out, I, I do vaguely remember the story coming out in a couple of weeks after nine eleven when the Boston Globe. Uh, put this uh, firebrand expose out, um, but uh, about the uh, the pedophile priests and the institution that protected them. Um, but I certainly failed to appreciate the courage and just hard journalism required for this to even happen. Uh, the easy comparison to make is the great, you know, the, all the all the president's men, a, a formidable film of its time, and I think this movie. Even does some things better than that. I think some of its mechanics and storytelling are just cleaner and more accessible, and it just—it's a legitimate ensemble piece that is—is is just a uh, a true procedural. Um, there's just so, something so wonderful about watching people really good at their job do their job. Uh, <laughs> This—it <laughs> it is in any film. I mean, yeah. you know, searching for Bobby Fischer, any, anything where it's like. Somebody who's just a prodigy at something or really good at something, and to see them do that, there's something just so satisfying about it. Uh, I think this movie's main achievement is just kind of as a, a a siren call for hard journalism and ethical journalism and a new media age that I don't think is putting that much emphasis on that anymore. And when our, our news stations are more and more corporate controlled, and you know, this is far from, I feel like this is far from the good night and good luck days yeah. where actual journalism could come from anybody with money. Uh, I've never felt more about what it's like to be a journalist <laughs> until yeah. seeing this film and the thrill of getting a scoop. Um, I think that there's something to be said. I think that there is a, um, 
that the the rise of digital media and the rise of social networking I think has had a net I think it's a net positive in mm-hmm. terms of the stories that can be told, the way we can consume them, how who who gets an opportunity to tell these stories and we can maybe get a different slant on it. Of course it has its negatives. I mean it has a lot of negatives, but mm-hmm. I think part of it is is that there's the ability of yeah, a really anybody can be a journalist and anybody can do it and this was a time I mean, this was this movie took place like it's like fifteen years 15 ago. Fifteen years ago, yeah. it's not even a blip in history. This practically, post Matrix. Yeah, and <laughs> if I can keep this film related <laughs> and drop a, a very very so spotlight was very very, very reaching reference in there. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a I'm trying to think of a of an after for a Matrix character, but I can't do it. A N after Neo, I guess maybe after Neo. Um, A O after one <laughs> after the one. Um, but yeah, I, I think it. But I think that. There's something to be said about after Wachowski's last good film. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess probably. Yeah, no, you're anyway, right. Anyway, anyway, yeah, no, but it, but it, but I've it definitely really thought about this. It it, it definitely is. It, there's something to be said about fact checking and people putting their their journalistic integrity on the line for to be able to get this story and and. and because it's they, everybody sees the importance of it. I think, and so everybody's really pulling on the same side of the rope, and it has right. that great team camaraderie, that great team um, mechanic to it, where everybody is just everybody is just acting like real people again. You know, I, but I think that it's interesting in that this is a movie where I think the the directing is fine. Like it's it's nothing special. I mm-hmm. think it. I, I think it does it uh, some favors, but right. This is. It, it's pretty much it's like. Pretty, it's really straightforward. It's. it's it it's, is. It's a yeah. classically filmed story. They. Um, let's see. What did I have here? Hold on. Do, 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 do. Well, let me ask you this. What was yeah. your What was your favorite performance in the film? Gosh, because mine is arguably well, Schreiber. Mine is the one who is arguably giving the least amount of performance, and that's Leif Schreiber. There's yeah. something about his persona and his matter of fact, take no bullshit. Mm-hmm guy who actually cares about his job yeah. that whenever he does say something it feels like it speaks volumes and it's always so focused and on point you know you know you know tell me you know show me that this was systemic and it goes from the top down yeah. and it, that's the story every time he spoke i was riveted i think i thought he was incredible in it well and i think that he also speaks as the uh, he sort of speaks to the audience a little bit. He's kind of the the audience's window into the story, yeah. In, at least in the beginning. But but you also they also go to him when they're sort of stuck, yeah. And not only is he talking to the people working, but he's also talking to to us and like, mm-hmm. okay, here's what we're gonna do. Here's how it's gonna be, and and, mm-hmm. and really definitely laying it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love Spotlight. It may come up a little bit later. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you it, can it, see, it, as I shuffle through in the my words papers. of a great man, this movie was like a tractor being <laughs> sucked me right in. <laughs> Yeah, on my 2015 theme of people acting like real people, I think. <laughs> it's basically, it's kind of the perfect match between, I talked about the directing, but it's the perfect match between actors and script. Yeah. I think they complement each other, and I don't think one is better than the other, but they they elevate each other to great levels, mm-hmm. I think. And so I think that that's really interesting. That Normally I feel like you can say, oh, the actors elevated this terrible script, or the other way around, but this time I feel like they did it both at the same time in mm-hmm. harmony. So that was really interesting to me. Yeah, I think one of the 
moments of the year that I am going to take with me is that one of those, I don't know, it's, I can't remember if it's the last shot of the film, but it's really close. It's when the Rachel McAdams character is talking to her, I think it's her grandma or her aunt or something. And the, and this, this, this older woman is, you know, die in the wool Catholic where she gets all of her moral guidance from and all that stuff. And the look on her face when the McAdams character puts the story in front of her is just shattering because it's really the ultimate betrayal, you know, and that's just an image I, that stuck with me this year. Um, well, my number six is a movie that, uh, one, the one and only John Hamm dubbed the Tyler Perry Christmas movie. <laughs> what? Called Blackmas. <laughs> I can't take credit for that joke. That's all John Hamm. Oh. But uh, he said it on a podcast, oh, and, I, and I've loved that since then. So Black Mass is my, is my number six film of the year, which we finally, again, get a story and, and a film that can lend itself to Johnny Depp wanting to just do the zaniest things in the world and wanting to just dress up in makeup and be crazy and, and do weird things. But this is the only vehicle since Pirates 1 where he's really been able to do it and have it kind of work, I feel like. I mean, depending on how you feel about Pirates 4, I guess. That's kind of where there's it falls a fourth into a Pirates film? Oh, boy. Yes, there was. Wait, and there's a fifth Pirates film? <laughs> they make money. I can I can link to Box Office Mojo. <laughs> I believe you. I don't know what it is about a crime story set in Boston that appeals to me so much, but, like, this movie... You're obviously a repressed Catholic. The Departed and The Town, like, all these... I love all these movies so much, and they all end up on my list in one form or another, I think. Scott Cooper. (laughs) And, uh, I said, maybe it's the accent? I don't know. Maybe it's the struggle of seeing these... The Departed redefined your life in movies. Oh, yeah. Probably. Oh, yeah. I mean, as it did a lot of us. It's Johnny Depp doing dress-up again. But there are a few choice scenes in this film, I think, that are just razor's edge with tension. And it's really his doing, frankly. There's the scene at the in, in the kitchen and also the scene with his wife, later, or with um, Joel Edgerton's wife later on. That's one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah, oh, that was a fantastic one. And you, really, this is about Johnny Depp. And you're like, that's why he's good. I remember now. He's a good actor who doesn't just make weird, crazy movies. Um, I mean, I, going back to the Boston thing, too, I don't fully feel a kinship with the rough-and-tumble gangsters that they're always portraying. Like, I don't think that I am anything like that. I'm exact the exact opposite of that. Right. Uh, but I, maybe maybe it's the accent. It's the only thing I can think of. But <laughs> uh, just a top-notch cast and really... Joel Edgerton kind of gets the shaft in the marketing for this movie mm. because he's in this movie about as much as Johnny Depp, if not more so. And you would think right. that he was maybe having it's a pretty dual narrative. Going five on. scenes yeah. with him and Benedict Cumberbatch, something like that. But he's a driving force with this movie along with Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think that it's cool to see him back again. I love the setting. It was a cool story. Maybe because it was the basis of The Departed, maybe? I don't know, maybe. But yeah, um, but yeah number six, Black Mass. I, I, I think it's definitely, it's, it's, it's worth a rental. I think it's definitely worth, uh, worth seeing. Ryan, remember when I said we needed to argue more? Here we go. Okay, please. This is my, one of my most disappointing movies really? of the year. <laughs> I, I thought it was boring. Really? Um, I didn't. I thought I, it was so I, engrossing. I, I thought this movie only existed to give Johnny Depp 
a tough guy role because everything involving him in the movie I found just so flat. Like, like he gets all these scenes of brutal violence, but I never get a sense of who Whitey Bulger is in this movie. Like not one bit. And every bit of violence you would hope would you'd glean something new out of it, but it's really just so he can kill people. But maybe that's the idea is that he always is that he didn't feel anything towards it, and so. <laughs> And because they, they did talk to a lot of people mm. who knew him mm. and basically had said that, yeah, he wasn't really a very emotional guy. You could never figure out what sort of thing he was, what mm. what what he was thinking. You couldn't, mm. you didn't know because he never mm. gave you any sort of clues or visual facial mm. tics or anything like that to let you know, let you in because all this stuff was just business. He did not, it's just sort of to him, it's just very much like... This is not a thing for me. So right, that's it's yeah. I bring up the violence because that's kind of the most flashy scenes that we typically get with him is when he's murdering somebody. But I okay, then give me more even in in the movie because like I just I felt like I was just watching a a character just frozen in time and I, I didn't get anything from him the entire film and I I thought it was weird how the movie kept changing perspective. I mean. We kind of start out with the Jesse Plemons character mm-hmm. in the beginning, and I thought that was kind of a cool angle into this movie. Like, hey, maybe you know somebody maybe, joining the crew. Maybe and... Bulger is just kind of a not a background figure, but he's like maybe a co-player in this mm-hmm. in this movie. And we get this kind of meathead character who, you know, basically figuratively takes a bullet for him in the beginning, and then kind of works his way into the gang. And yeah. I will tell you what I loved in this film. Peter fucking Sarsgaard. Yes. One of the best supporting turns of the year, playing an absolute maniac and dying like absolute yeah, maniac. Right. Spoiler alert. He was awesome, but I it's constant perspective changes between Plemons and Bulger and Edgerton. I just never found a consistent point of view to latch onto and I don't know, it just it's one of those subjective things. It just mm-hmm. didn't really just didn't really do a whole lot for the, me. I, I felt the story and again, maybe it reminded me of The Departed, <laughs> is that I just, I found it really engrossing. And mm. I liked the relationship between Edgerton and Bolgia, you know, Bulger. like, yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and the performances I thought were really good, too. Mm. And and so, I mean, I... I, I actually could, liked some of the supporting turns, actually. Yeah. Kind of the background turns even more than... Plemons? Even him, yeah. I, you mentioned the scene where Depp kind of intimidates the wife at the mm-hmm. top of the stairs, hitting someone else... That is a really good scene. Like yeah, that, that's really a pot boiler. Um, and I also like uh, I think his name is Rory Cochran, who is one of Depp's kind of hitman and you, one of his bodyguards or backup kind of guys. And they kind of cut to him every so often. And this, the expressions on his face, I think, give so much character. And I kind of was more more interested on in, like what these guys were doing in the background because I just didn't feel like I was getting enough from like the main pieces of this story. Well, you're definitely entitled to your wrong opinion. <laughs> That's my line, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, moving on, my number five film is Brooklyn. And since we pretty much covered this in full, yeah. I think I will leave it uh, I will, I will leave it there. Brooklyn's great. Uh, Brooklyn is my number five. Go check it out, kids. Uh, my number five is a movie I we're probably going to have to get dig deep into this one. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. Um, Casey and I saw a very rough cut of this film about about ten months. I remember before, that before it came out, and uh, I think we're allowed to talk about it by now, right? It's come out on DVD. It's like Star probably... Wars. I mean, yeah, if you're the one yeah. person of a particular age that hasn't seen this movie, that's your problem. Yeah. 
Well, and also because we weren't allowed to talk about it really technically <laughs> before then anyway. But, um, I mean, it was probably – I mean, the, and, and this is basically coming from the people uh, – if you are if you live in Los Angeles or you know people who do, these people, they, they stand out in front of big theaters on Friday nights and they just tell – they have these signs that go, oh, free movie, yeah, free movie, right. free movie. Most of the time it's just like – It's just like eh, – it's, it's like white noise to me because yeah. I, I really feel like it's anything I care about that they're promoting. Yeah. It, rarely it happens. But this came across – I don't even remember how this came about. It was just we got an email or something like that and we were like – Oh my god, we have to go! And um, it was only about 75% complete. And the 75% that it was was basically the first 75%. Like, the last mm. quarter of it was very, very, very rough. Okay. Um, it was probably the best of those screener movies that we've ever seen. Mm. I mean, bar none. And we... We could not wait for other people to see it. Oh, that's and, a tough secret to to keep guarded for that long. And we were, but that, no, but we were. We would tell our friends and stuff like that. That's you know, awesome. Had, right? Oh yeah, we yeah. were screaming as loud as we could to everybody that would hear us. Was like, no, this movie is amazing. Like right. you are going to love it. It's going to be a thing next year. Yeah, and then seeing it completed, it was. I mean, it was just we felt very vindicated. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know right. I did. Like, oh god, thank god, yeah. for, we're not. Yeah, because you know, you know, it kind of has that reboot itis feel to it. If yeah. you're not familiar with any of the pieces involved, and oh, another movie that had its heyday 30 years ago. Yeah, but it, it really leaves that behind very, very quickly. I think. Oh yeah. It, it <laughs> in the very beginning, a part of the the Mad Max iconography would it's be his car. car that is pretty much destroyed in the first 10. What minutes does Miller almost. do? Yeah. Yeah. He just deconstructs the old and then just says, in with the new here. I mean, this is a movie, it, it, it practically just holds you down and bludgeons your senses for two and a half hours or something. Right. And at the end, you're basically just going, can I have another? Like, can we do this again? Like, just, just tell me the time and I'll be there. Like, do not do anything. Right. I mean... Uh, it's visually striking, mostly practical effects. I mean, for, there's some special effects because right. stuff that wasn't done. I mean, frenetic camera work. It kind of felt like the best movie that Neville Dean and Taylor had ever made, <laughs> which I do enjoy their films. But this, the, the, I don't know what it this is. This is like Steven Spielberg directing a Neville Dean and Taylor <laughs> film. You know, like it, it's yeah. somebody. It's a. It's a more of a a sure hand, elevating what could be really uninspired material and ill thought out. Did it almost feel like it was at like not not at 48 frames a second, but it was like Everything. 30 some frames a second like cuz everybody seemed like they were just speeding up a little bit right. and it sort of just I mean, added to this like oh, there's God. a little of that going on. Yeah. It's, it's a little editing tricks going on there. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. I mean, they're a clearly a labor of love. I mean, blood, sweat and tears were mm-hmm. all shed yeah. in the making of this movie and you think about you read about the behind the scenes and how they were just it was just such a difficult shoot. It was such a long shoot. It's in these desert scapes for months and months on end. But mm-hmm. I mean, it really shows on screen the the the, right. the the love and the and the care that went into it. Right. Really, I mean, as soon as you think you can relax after a big set piece, well, here comes a fucking sandstorm to <laughs> annihilate you for fifteen minutes. Like you just right. get to the end of it and you can't even. You try, you're trying to process what you've just seen, this massive car chase with this dude with playing a guitar with fire. Right. And then you're like, okay, good. This is a wide shot. I can do this. <laughs> it's like, nope, we're going to drive into the sandstorm and do a whole other thing now, right, right back to back. Um, wonderful female characters, portrayals. I think this was one of the 
um, strongest, if not the strongest female uh, in terms of strength performance yeah. uh, yes. this season, there or this season, this year. <laughs> God, I don't know what I'm talking about. TV whore. I know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I hope you get to see it on a big screen, mm-hmm. but it is eminently watchable on cable as well. If you, mm-hmm. if you, if you do catch it on TV. Right. Um, so Mad Max Fury Road, anything to say about this one? Clayton? Yeah. Um, a little, <laughs> it will show up later on my oh, list and I'm definitely going to give it its due right now. Okay. This was my greatest theatrical experience since the dark Knight. Really? A good, I think I remember you saying that a good to me. seven yeah. years ago. I, the comparison is basically how the experience you have with a crowd and the general pulse and energy of the crowd. A lot of times you feel like audiences are scattered. Some people want to be there. Some people are just kind of there because it's something to do. Some people are fucking texting. You know, like everybody in this crowd was there to see Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I saw this the Thursday before it opened wide at the Cinerama Dome. And that historic awesome venue could not have been the more the most perfect place for me to see this film uh even from the early opening credits where we just see the companies like the title sequences we get one i think it's village roadshow or something and it's all chromed out it has the aesthetic of the movie and then it just gets this it like throttles back and forth the whole crowd lost their shit (laughs) before the movie even started you know like a bunch of cinephiles. I was there apparently seeing this movie with 300 cinephiles, you know? 300 us, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that happened. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on like fucking Donkey Kong. <laughs> like, and then it just starts and never l- lets up. And I feel like there's many reasons why this film should not exist, right? <laughs> okay, one, this is a studio tentpole. Yeah. Right? Think about this. Think about the movie again and realize... A studio put like $150 million into this. <laughs> well, first thing, even before then, George Miller goes to them and is like, Hey, guys, want to make another Mad Max film? I think we're about due. It's been about 30 years. $150 million right here. Come on, then. <laughs> In an era defined, like you were saying, by computer-generated effects, uh, the whole shit ton of this movie is shot in camera. Another point in its credit. Miller's in his 70s right now. And he hasn't directed a Mad Max film in 30 years. Yeah. In the interim, however, he has directed two Happy Feet films Ooh. and Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> so, so he was obviously he was the right person chops. to bring this franchise back. <laughs> he was just getting ready. And the first point of contention is, of course, this film's out of its fucking mind. Yes. <laughs> From yes. the, I mean, like you were, and like you were saying again, I'm gonna have the same points there. He, Miller, basically subverts his own franchise, like. He trashes the signature car in the first scene. He, uh, the film is arguably feminist cinema mm-hmm. <laughs> about female empowerment, and uh, the Furiosa character even says it, redemption. Uh, he makes Max effectively a co-player in his own film, if not a slight supporting character. That was surprising to me. Uh, and it's just such an effortless case of Show not tell storytelling. Yeah, character is action, and this movie is all action and character. Yeah, if you're gonna go to a film, you should see it. It should be visible, visual. It should be visceral. I don't want to hear see people talking about stuff. I oh look at this cool thing I did. No, I want to see it. It's right there, and it just exactly. it just hammers you in the face. It, it doesn't hold our hands. We don't need to know why Furiosa only has one arm. Yeah, you know, we don't need to know why the war boys douse themselves in chrome before they go kamikaze. Mm-hmm. We don't need to know 
what the doof lawyer is and why he has a flamethrower guitar. All we of- just we just accept these things yeah. because it's such a balls out committed vision that we just we just go along with it. We go along for the ride and we fill in all the answers we need ourselves. I mean, after this movie was was done, I my heart was still pumping battery acid. <laughs> I, I I I will say my one request to all theater chains who screen the next Mad Max film, which we'll probably get now. Mm-hmm. I I refuse to go sit down unless my seat has a seatbelt and a roll bar. <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road Take a drink. Will, will show up later on my list if you haven't guessed. <laughs> Well, what's your number? Right. You got your number four lined up. Right? I do coming down the home stretch. Yes, my number four is one of the more recent films I saw. It is called Phoenix. Hmm. Um, it is uh, technically a 2014 movie, but we didn't get it here in the states till 2015. It's streaming on Netflix right now. It's kind of a a, a riff on Vertigo. It plays a lot with identity, a lot with betrayal. That is set in the post World War II period. Um, it focuses on this uh, woman named Nellie, who's played by Nina Haas, and the director of Petzold and Haas is kind of like his muse. They've done like two or three films together. Uh, basically, she's taken out of a concentration camp. Her face is badly scarred from a, a bullet wound sustained in the camp. Um, her friend suggests that she get facial reconstructive surgery so she can, one, you know, have her face back, but two, get a different face because obviously... Being a member of the camp, it'd be best if people don't recognize who you are uh, in case some of the people around you uh, were the perpetrators. And the only caveat is Nellie's main goal is to reunite with her husband. Uh, Before she does that, her friend lets her know that it was, in fact, her husband who betrayed her to the Nazis. Oh, no. Um, Already an intriguing premise, and the movie does require a, a heightened state of suspended disbelief to really buy into all the emotion of the scenes that come. Um, but there's something genuinely gripping about this movie. It kind of, it's almost an allegory for Germany's response to world war two, right after it happened, how they were maybe initially reluctant to accept it. But, uh, there are many extended scenes of this woman reuniting with her husband and her husband, of course, does not recognize her. And there's just an inherent tension on both sides. Like, you know, does he know who she is? If he does, what does that say? Is he just in denial? Uh, did, did he really betray her to the Nazis if we're talking about her end? And, uh, it kind of just, it kind of just leads you along with these really great character scenes and then it just culminates in this flat out stunner of an emotional climax that is honestly so good it's probably an all time ending in film history. I, at least with the movies I've seen. Like, it is stunning. And it's so good that you really want to, <laughs> Uh, go back and watch the rest of the film again, just to make sure the rest of the movie is lines up worthy of it. <laughs> oh, that's okay, right? Yeah, because um, that's the last thing you remember. You want to you want to make sure that oh, it, was it all good, or am I just going to remember up. this ending? It yeah. sneaks up on you, and when it hits you, your jaw drops. And that's all I want to say. Any, to give away anything else would be an act of criminality, not mm. quite on par with national socialism, but in the film world, why not? Uh, Where did that come from, Bernie? <laughs> Bernie? Yeah. Democratic socialism, Right, right. Brian. Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, I just called you Brian, by the way. You did. I No, I didn't. After that comment, you deserve to be called Brian. <laughs> Phoenix is my number four. I don't want to give anything else away. Check it out. I'll it's, have to watch it. It's not that it. it's on Netflix. Mm. Um, well, my number four, I think, is... 
surprised even me that it was on here. Mm-hmm. I if you would have told me at the beginning of the year or when any of the the marketing for this movie was coming out that you know it's going to end up in your top five. The human right? centipede three. Yeah. Well, that's where we're going. Aren't don't we? ruin it. Don't ruin my number two. All right, it's your number one. That's right. Get it? My number two. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Oh, I know. Oh, um, yeah. but my number four is straight out of Compton. Wow, that is your most surprising entry yeah. on this list. I mean, I haven't seen the film. Honestly, yeah. I, can't, I, I can't comment. But that's an interesting pick. It is. It on well. Okay. <laughs> First of all, it, sh- it should have been nominated for more Oscars. Plain and simple. Which ones do you think? Uh, I think picture. Uh, I think supporting actor, mm. the guy who played Eze, is tremendous. As is O'Shea Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, is great as his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that I, I mean at least throw something in there for it. It's a critical success. People seem to love it. It had great buzz. Um, it's a biopic that plays out more than a, so almost like a it's like a, it's a sweeping epic. I mean, it's an epic story. It's like two hours and thirty five minutes long. Mm-hmm. It it's like something Scorsese would make. Now, I'm not saying it's to the, the quality of a Scorsese movie, but it has similar beats and it has a similar character arc where you feel like, okay, these guys are coming from nothing and then they get really popular and then a bunch of shit happens and then they start, you know, and then there's the inevitable downfall by some of the characters and others are, are going here and there and everything like that. It spans years. All the characters are splitting apart. They're coming mm-hmm. together. They're doing all sorts of different things. I mean, in that sense, it sort of is kind of like Goodfellas, right? Really, yeah. Um, but it's an epic by any sense of the word, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the casting in this film—I know they don't give Oscars for casting. In fact, there's a whole film about that, by the way. About How these like, actors were cast? No, 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 no. About the casting in general. Oh, just like, in yeah, general. just in general. It's really interesting. But um, the casting in this film—I mean, the guys that they chose to pick the three men in NWA or the three main players. It's just like you see pictures of them at the end credits next to the who they're playing, and you're like, "Wait, who's who?" Like, I really did. You do. You do. Are you can't sure tell. this movie wasn't filmed in the early '90s? Really? Like, it <laughs> could have been just like a documentary that they did. I mean, the guy they had a like they have a, a Snoop Dogg cameo, they have a Tupac cameo, and all these guys are just actors playing these characters. It's like, oh my gosh, so this really brings you into this time period, mm-hmm. and really brings you into. Um, these guys lives Mm -hmm. um i mean it kind of came out at just the right time really too i mean a lot of the the themes have to do with police brutality and at that time coming into focus more and more over the past 18 months in our country yeah it's entirely possible and really kind of sad that really Mm -hmm. Possibly not much has just changed from right, right. the early nineties. I, I think that's probably about, about the Rodney King era. That, yeah, that that's era, and, right? and, yeah. and and there's a whole and that is it doesn't take place during that, but it's there are there are allusions to it, and there is actually one scene where they're the the guys are watching TV and they're going, they go, man, finally somebody got it on tape. Like yeah. somebody finally got this on tape. We're gonna right. get these guys, and so that is a backdrop to the rest of part of the, of the to that section of the story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a scene where they perform "Fuck the Police," their main, their biggest song. Yeah, and they're at this giant stadium, the Palace at Auburn Hills in Detroit. The stadium, basketball stadium, these guys built. And beforehand, the Detroit police, like, there's a whole host of police officers going, "You can't do that song. If you do that song, <laughs> you will be arrested." <laughs> and so they come out, they do their show, 
And then there's this whole exchange between with Ice Cube and with Dr. Dre, like, right. "Hey, you think we should do this? You know what they told us to do? They told us they don't want they don't want us to do this song. Well, you know what? You know what, Dre? I got something to say." And then they go <laughs> right into it, and the crowd absolutely goes crazy. Uh-huh. And then the police just come streaming <laughs> through the crowd, arrest them, take them into a truck, and the crowd just revolts. And yeah. it's it's a beautifully shot scene. It's a, it's a great, like, just gripping. Classic just, like, police misjudgment. Like, yeah, fuck the police. <laughs> like, fuck those guys. So, I mean, and it's it's one of my favorites. And and I think maybe partly why it was so, so it was so successful because it could appeal to someone like me who doesn't know the story at all. Like I was a kid when this was happening. I would never have been able to listen to NWA or have yeah. even been interested. Um, but it appealed to the people who listened to it and it appealed to the people that didn't. Hmm. Um, and I think that it's just at the end of the day, it's just a interesting story. You right. know, whether you like the music, whether you don't like the music, it's just an interesting story with great characters. I mean, Paul Giamatti is in it playing a music manager again but he's great <laughs> in it you know he does he yeah you, you, and you saw love and mercy this year i did not actually he see plays love a music mercy. manager yeah, he plays in it too, right yeah i know he, he plays it in a lot of his films yeah. but it's a fascinating story it's a fascinating look at and i think that paul g money even he, he he's the one who's champion championing these guys as like no, what you're doing is really special. We need to keep it going and keep it moving and stuff like that um and it doesn't kind of go where you think it is but I think it was really surprising, and I came out of it just with my jaw drop. Like, I can't believe how good that movie was. Yeah, well, so. like I said, I haven't seen this, but I I do know that it was very well received on a whole from critics. Yeah, and, critically, and it made a bunch of money too. Yeah, and and the one kind of uh, criticism I, I kept hearing, I want to get your reaction to it, was that it's the film starts off incredibly strong, and by the time the film's over, it just feels kind of more conventional. I would agree with that, but I don't not think... Not necessarily a negative. No, you know? not necessarily because the beginning is so strong and mm-hmm. the parts where they're together are so strong. But that's going to happen when they inevitably split, when they inevitably split up right. and start, you know, I mean, that because it's not as strong without the three of them kind of coming together. And yeah. there's some scenes towards the end where they're, where they're not all together, but pieces of them are sort of fitting together. Mm-hmm. And it feel it kind of gets you back to that. But, um, you know, I mean, the story itself, it's like... I I would much rather see the underdog coming up and like oh I'm right. you know taking it from the streets like that it's like well once they're really famous okay yeah that's great okay <laughs> who cares but right. um, yeah. yeah so it's it's definitely I mean it, it honestly reminded me a lot of Goodfellas I know I mentioned that already but yeah. it was really weird watching it and like yeah this this feels a lot like that which is funny because that movie came out around the time that this movie takes place so right yeah so that was my number four <laughs> straight out of competent yeah as, i just as read that as possible yeah <laughs> i just i just read actually that Corey hawkins who plays uh dr dre i think he's the new jack bauer he's gonna be the new jack bauerless 24 yes. star <laughs> yeah that was a, i was looking over F- oh no no i can't say it but <laughs> do you have something incredibly inappropriate to say i do but i'm not gonna say it i'll say it to you off my all right all right all right black uh, bauer <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you personify white privilege, sir. How do you feel? Uh, Straight out of cop is number four on my list. It, 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 Quentin Tarantino loves to use the Edward too. That's true. <laughs> uh, um, my number three film is Room, and this I have to get this out of the way before I even get into the movie. The official website for this film is RoomTheMovie.com. There's another film-related website called theroommovie.com, <laughs> which takes you to a 
drastically different film with the title room in it, so make sure you pick the right website. <laughs> oh, it's not the Tommy Wiseau movie? Oh, it is. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, okay, hi, all right. Mark. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's that one. Um, I did not do it. It is bullshit. The indefinite article, the, has never been more crucial. Um, Everybody that I've talked to in the last like week about that movie, they're like, oh, have you seen that movie, The Room? My <laughs> no. dad said that, too. No, it's just Room. <laughs> but he, I don't... he said that today to me, and I told yeah. him, Dad, the, the is critical <laughs> in this case. <laughs> just I know, you, I, know, I know you don't know what I'm talking about, but trust me. Leave it off. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's like the Facebook because I post to Facebook. Yeah. It's cleaner. It's cleaner. <laughs> so Room is, it's just phenomenal. It's kind of a riddle at heart in the beginning. It unfolds like a mystery. Who are these two characters? What are they doing in this confined space? Why why are they in this predicament? And the layers slowly get peeled back over the first half of the film. And I think the I think the mechanics and the the plot of that first half are best left to people who haven't seen this yet. So I really, I really don't want to get too much into that, but I'm going to try and vaguely talk about the second half of the film, which I think is where it made or it, it the second half makes or breaks this thing because uh, let me get a little more into the plot. So it starts Brie Larson as a mother uh, whose name is joy. And the movie begins with her and her child played by, I got to say a remarkable actor named Jacob Tremblay. They're in this situation they get out of the situation. I, I, again, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, the director here is Lenny Abramson, and I think that the second half of this film is a truly committed and honest rendition of... It's a plausible interpretation of how this story would resolve, or maybe not resolve, but further unveil itself. And it never really feels like he cheats it in any way. Uh, it's He understands that the drama... Of this of the first half of the film is more than enough to carry it through all the way to the end of the film. Um, there is uh, I kept waiting for him to like I said cheat this like him to just bring just force in some conflict maybe resurrect the horrors of the past and somebody who we don't really like from the first half comes back in a really yeah. dangerous way and it thankfully so does not need any of that because the interplay between mother and child here is so strong it just fills up any void we'd have from some contrived conflict it also has enough drama on its own i think once the second half is is going there's enough drama to keep it afloat without having to have these contrived it really does pieces here it really does the film is i think it's just honest enough to know that it's central and i guess you could say figurative device of, of 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 the room uh, <laughs> it just it just speaks so many volumes about you know the human capacity for for love and 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 withdrawal and disconnectedness and a scene of the year candidate for me it's just a knockout it involves uh william h macy who is uh the brie larson character's biological father her mother's been remarried since but uh there's her and the, the child and william h macy are all in the same uh, room room in her mom's house, and there's an there's there's an acknowledgement that that could happen in this scene that should happen, and it kind of just hangs in the air, and the inability of the Macy character to go through with it is one of my most devastating moments of the year. It's just a slightest gesture 
that shows he is not ready to accept this reality that his daughter finds herself in. And it, oh, it yeah. crushed me. Oh. All it needed, all it needed was a, just one piece of, of facial whatever, and that was it. And but oh. it never came. He refuses to even give it the light of day. Mm-hmm. The, the elephant in the room. I just, I can't give away too much about this. It's yeah. too good. Uh, after her heavyweight performance in Short Term Twelve, unfortunately, probably still little seen. Finally, Brie Larson is getting the attention she deserves because I think she is formidable. Yeah. And my new resident hottie, by the way. Wow. I mean, it's weird talking about that in context with this film. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if you've seen the cover of the latest Hollywood Reporter. Oh, my God. I'll have to uh, check it out. <laughs> uh, but I think the key to this movie is the kid. Uh, I mean, it's essentially his vantage point we're getting. And the drama of the movie really plays on him because he is... I almost thought of the Truman Show in some sense, where you have this character who's in this world that is his entire world, although the rest of the world has yet to reveal itself to him. And it's all he knows, it's all he understands, and his transition outside of this world is captivating. It's like like, uh, the kid is a blank slate. He knows what nothing is other than what he's been able to get on, you know, various TV shows he's been able to watch. Um, And it's the there's a final just act of mercy between this kid to his mother that, Oh God, it just, uh, the, the characters in this movie, just, they find their grace finally. And it's their first tentative steps out of, out of this, this life that was determined to lock them away. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. I love yeah, this film. This one barely missed my list, but mm. I may regret keeping mm. it off. It was part of my honorable mentions, but I may have to reconsider that now that you. I think you talked me into it oh, at some dude, point. But, yeah, oh, I mean, uh, I really enjoyed it. You, I mean, just can't, you can't forget about this film when you see it. Enjoyed is a hard word to it's use. Hard, it's a hard this, word. With it's, this, with maybe this movie. just pulled over by it. Yeah. Yeah. Impressed. It's, 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 yeah. it's something special. Um, number three, right? That was my number three. Number three. Okay. Well, my number three, going in the opposite direction of that. <laughs> uh, well, I guess, nah. <laughs> the Big Short is my number oh, three. Good pick. Yeah, um, such a battle between tragedy and comedy in this movie. They are just going in one scene. It's it's one, and the next scene it's it's it's, a, it's, an, it's another it's an angry film in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, the worst economic meltdown in a hundred years, <laughs> yeah. mixed with someone like a wisecracking on point Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie in a bathtub. Like that's. That's what you're dealing with here, and and that's how they choose to frame this this story. Um, and only Adam McKay could really balance the two as well as as it did. I mean, it it never teeters, it never sort of falls into one or falls in the other. He right. respects the predicament that the country was in by giving it its due. It's a, I mean, and I can only imagine how confusing reading the actual book is without having people <laughs> pause and say. Well, right. here's what this is, and here's what this is, which I think can can be seen as pandering, but I think is crucial to understanding what it is that these people are up against, what it is that that the, the uh, that the world was up against, really, at that particular time in 2008. Um, I mean, the meat of the movie basically rests with the maelstrom of handsome and talented actors that are in it. It's like a Venn diagram of like handsome and talented. And then this movie is like right in the middle, frankly. Um, I mean, it was a confusing time. 
I think for the banks, they were in it, the film even tells us it was intentionally trying to confuse people so that they didn't know what they were Ugh, signing. Using they had this no idea. garbage jargon that they that they that they throw at you and basically to make nobody themselves nobody understands. Yeah, to make themselves sound smart and to be able to just sucker these people into right. these in bad deals. Um, I felt a little bit responsible because I work for the bank <laughs> coming <laughs> it out of clearly it. Your fault, it right? really was. Well, no, but I mean, it's not. It's not my fault necessarily. But it's the you're f- complicit. Let's it's the that. fault of the people who are making the decisions now that I have to enact with people right. on a daily basis. So, what's to stop this from happening again? You know, and and then it's and they say then the banks are even bigger now. Yeah. And, it, and nothing's really changed. And yeah. the fat cats keep getting fatter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's my boss. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that runs my company. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the the performances and the subject matter, it should not have worked as well as it really did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting story. And I think that uh, what, in, in the conclusion of the film... It's nice that nobody's really happy with what the outcome is. Or they have to be reminded that they shouldn't be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they're it's, essentially betting against the American economy. Yeah. And that's it's in the trailer. And that's, that's literally what happens yeah. in the movie. But this is what you're doing. You're betting so, on people going out of work. People yeah. losing their homes. It's a hollow victory. <laughs> in, you know, you don't need to see these really handsome and talented people that already have more money than you do making <laughs> gobs of money hand over right. a fist. Right. Um, I love the, the, just the window of comedy into this. And mm-hmm. this is a movie we needed as a country. <laughs> it was, I mean, I, I saw inside job back in 2008, which is the hard documentary version of this. Mm-hmm. And it was an outrage. I yeah. was furious. I don't think I've ever felt so viscerally angry after watching a film. And this is kind of a, I mean, I wouldn't say a great double header because it's trotting the same ground, but it's like two excellent but completely different approaches to this material that really explained, I think, to people, hopefully, who are still kind of in the dark. And I, I count myself in that group as well. I mean, I have a little understanding now, but mm-hmm. people need to know this and they need to understand what happened. Yeah. And because... It, from all intents and purposes, it looks like it's going that way. So, <laughs> right, yeah. uh, it just won the PGA, yeah, biggest did. award, well, that's, uh, that's taking a big uh, taking spotlights, uh, supposed victory there, and that kind of makes it the new best picture front runner. That's right. I would Give it, say. it it gives it a little bit of momentum. The PGA is is uh, is, is pretty good lock to pick those. I don't think Adam McKay can win best director. No, I, think I don't think so. Either. His win is basically just being nominated is a big yeah. win for him. I mean, because yeah. I mean, again. Apparently, comedies cannot be art, <laughs> and he's made some killer comedies over the years. Yeah. He's actually one of my favorite comedy directors in Hollywood. I mean, Anchorman, the other guys, Talladega Nights. Mm-hmm. Like this guy can spin a fucking comedic yarn like a pro. I think Step Brothers is underrated too. I've never I mean, seen Step Brothers. Oh yeah, he oh, did no, that one too. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't one of my favorite, but I mean, the guy, the guy knows how he to knows. make comedy. He definitely knows. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of dismissive to say like, oh, this is his first, you know, serious film. Like, oh, what a surprise! It's like. <laughs> This guy's been making great films. He yeah. just took some really, really uh, topical and serious subject matter to frame it with. This well, yeah, time. he does. He, he he didn't make a movie with improv for ninety minutes. Like he worked with yeah. a script and he and he and he honed down his little and he, and he, he honed down his style and, and reined it into one singular vision. Yeah. So the big short. Uh, All right. What's your number two? Number two, two film is Mad Max Fury Road. Ah. And uh, I've said my piece. The only thing left to say is. 
to Valhalla, and Valhalla, in this case, is your number two pick. My number two, uh, to the surprise of no one, maybe surprise that it's number two. Uh, <laughs> do you think you know what it is? Number two! Number two! Uh, I don't, I, I, I don't know, Finn. Uh, no, it's not that, actually. Oh. No. That didn't make it. Oh! No, it didn't make it. Because I remember, it might have been two years ago, when you said that Force Awakens was an honorary number one in 2015. <laughs> and, at the, and the second... Wow. The, the you sec- remember that? Yeah. Oh. The second film of the year would have been your second screening of Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the way on down the line. All the way on down the line. No. No, it's not. I... I didn't make the list. No, I mean, it didn't make the list. I it didn't mean, conjure up those old heebie-jeebies no, It, it still can be an honorary number one, even if it's not really number okay. one. It's like it's a, a Star it's, Wars memorial list. It's a separate, because this movie that was number two, I had told some people, like, this is my most anticipated fall movie. Hmm. And they're like, well, what about Star Wars? And I'm like, that's different. That's not like that's a obvious. movie. That's not. That's an event. That is something <laughs> in a totally different box. Like, when I did my list in 2005, I mean, I love Revenge of the Sith. Well, it was, it was at that point it was the only movie I'd ever cried in, like physically, like literally cried in *Revenge of the Sith*. And Brian, you're, yeah. you're breaking my heart. Yeah, she was. She was very sad. I like Natalie. Where's Natalie gone? She's that's, in that's uh, *Jane's Got a Gun*. Yeah, but I mean, where has she been? She's had a baby. I haven't seen her. Is this? Are we? Are we? Is this, are the mics on? Are we I, recording I just this? missed Natalie. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but it's, it's totally different in that, like the 2005. My number one movie was not Revenge of the Sith because I had a separate thing for it. I had a whole separate thing I wanted to say about it because it just it doesn't really even count in my mind. Like right. it's, it's hard to even yeah, put yeah. it on a list. It's weird for well, me. A Star Wars movie is is not just a movie. You no, know? I mean it, it's 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 become a f- cultural phenomenon, yeah. and so it's kind of weird to talk about it in the context of Spotlight, true, <laughs> or something like that. Well, my number two is Steve Jobs. Oh, okay. Um, I love Aaron Sorkin, as we know. I'm an unabashed Sorkin lover. Mm-hmm. There's really no way that I wasn't going to enjoy this movie. <laughs> I mean, the only question was whether it would be number one on my list or whether it would be better than The Social Network. Right. And I'm here to tell you, Clayton, it's no and no. So yes, it's, it's <laughs> agreed and agreed. But that does not mean that every word of this film has some weight behind it. <laughs> I think that if you go into a Sorkin project, you have to sort of accept his world you have to kind of take a step into it's funny you say that i mean how many writers do we speak of that way not none of them and i feel like if it's done maybe and seth rogan talked about this is that when I mean, tarantino maybe is like the only other guy yeah, who gets but that talk writers though okay yeah. um but i think that there's there's if you if you go into it thinking that people talk like this in the real world you are not going to enjoy it because you're like this is pompous this is ridiculous people don't talk like this but they do in the world that he creates mm-hmm. and if you can delineate those two, I think that you can really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a real world that we inhabit that takes us, you know, five minutes to craft a sarcastic response to, yeah, yeah. or some, you know, to a text yeah. message or something like that. Armchair criticism. And there's the Sorkin world where you can make a pithy comment, you can make a razor sharp comeback all in a moment's notice. <laughs> you know, like. Something a line about you know hey you know God created the world in uh, in seven days oh and someday you're gonna have to tell us how you did it <laughs> <laughs> so I accept them being totally separate and I and I and I find that mm-hmm. be, uh, to be okay I mean it's a movie that is understated and yet completely 
boisterous and loud and mm-hmm. and and fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's at the top of their game. Boyle, Fassbender, Kate Winslet. I think deserved her Golden Globe win. I thought she was great She's in this great. movie. Yeah. Even Seth Rogen. I mean, Jeff right. Daniels. All these people. All down the line. Yeah. Again, maybe the performance. Maybe the writing makes the performances better. I don't know. Um, but Fassbender especially. Yeah, the performance taking over for what was for Christian Bale originally. Yeah, right? it was gonna be Bale and Fincher. It would have been like, Bale oh and my Fincher. god! Yeah, um, it's but, the intensity got to sustain itself. Yeah, but I mean, he has to really carry a heavy load of the dialogue, and I think he does so brilliantly. I mean, Winslet was quoted with Entertainment Weekly basically saying that he has to perform Hamlet times two. It was like 182 pages of dialogue in this movie, and it's all dialogue. It's all people walking and talking, yeah. which is, yeah. I mean, and what he has to carry, Incredible. I mean, is unbelievable. Three hours of dialogue and two hours, yeah. basically, is what it was. Yeah. Because they, these characters spit fire. And they're just, cause, and they're soliloquies. Maybe even more than straight out of Compton, by yeah. the way. <laughs> um, but I mean, but not only that with the... I mean, I'm mainly just going to talk about the performances mainly. Sure. I think that. Well, maybe, what else is there to talk well, about? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other than the writing, what he has, what he has to go through in each scene, because the base of the film is broken up in three different sections before three separate product launches um, in Steve Jobs's career. Yeah, and he basically Great has framing, to, by the way, for a Steve yeah, Jobs story. Because then you can still tell the story amidst the true backdrop, and yeah, I really loved it. Yeah. He goes from having to be a perfectionist to having to nurture or act like he is to being sarcastic to being upset. I mean, he runs an entire gamut of emotions in a 25 to 30 minute sequence mm-hmm. and just goes from piece to piece. And there's never a time where you're like, well, wait, I thought he was here. No, I mean, the the, the performance and the writing is just so – it flows yeah. so well you yeah. never you 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 never no, doubt for a minute that this is what this guy oh, did it's, it's a steady river of dialogue that you have to try and just stay afloat with it's really a remarkable performance i think people might forget because leo will happen and i mean rightfully so granted leo was great in the revenant um was he all right we'll get to that later yeah well yeah. he was he he survived it <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> he was fine i mean he was he was, he was good you know okay, i think he was right. good i don't care that Fassbender doesn't look like Steve Jobs. Danny Boyle didn't, and no, he yeah. apparently thought that he was good enough to play in this movie. And yeah. I'm going to trust Danny Boyle when it comes to movie decisions. The funny thing is, I think it'll be completely forgotten in two years' time that Danny Boyle directed this movie. Yeah. Because it's not his does movie. Does this look like a Danny Boyle film? It does there's in, like in two, sections. There's two flourishes I can think of mm-hmm. where, like, Suddenly, there's kind of like a projection on a wall next yeah. to them that's like, oh, that's something you would see in a Boyle film. Mm-hmm. But this is such a straightforward telling of a story that I had, I, I could, my one of my last guesses would have been Danny Boyle yeah. if he hadn't told me. Which I mean, it, it was still, it was still directed well, but mm-hmm. really, I mean, it kind of feels like a director for hire. You could have, yeah, any, anybody mm-hmm. could have put that in there because the real star of the show is Aaron Sorkin, right? Um, as it is with most of his projects, yeah. he tends to, to take over the credit with that. Um, I mean, it almost begs to be seen multiple times, I think, because... You're going to miss things. You, yeah, like, you cannot yeah. catch the nuances, and we saw it twice, and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's really a shame that Ashton came out first, that Ashton's <laughs> version came it's out funny, first. It's funny, because he looks so much like him. He really does. And, the, and it just wasn't... But it just, I mean, it was like a nothing movie. I didn't even see it. But it was I think, more of a traditional biopic, which is just not... That's I, I just think that's a terrible way to tell someone's story, is mm-hmm. to try and encapsulate almost everything you got to 
focus. You know, you got to be like Selma. Yeah. You got to just focus on one one little so one section. or a couple crucial areas of their lives and really dig into it. Because then you get a sense, especially when he's in his working environment, with, as he is throughout all of this, who the, who he is at work, really. And a lot of the so. background just comes out through the, the dialogue. You know, you get mm-hmm. that story without having to see it yeah. unfold. No, I really like this film, too. Um, I, I, it, didn't, it didn't make my list. I, I sat through it pretty riveted like you did. Um, I think that it's the most Aaron Sorkin I've ever felt in an Aaron Sorkin film. Okay. Like, in the sense that I I feel like he's talking more than anything else, and I, I it kind of overshadowed the performances. Mm-hmm. Again, it's such good dialogue that it's not a big thing for me at all. Yeah, um, I thought it was strange. Did you have any trouble with the ending? Because the, the last shot, you mean? The ending felt like very bizarrely lifetimey for some reason. It just kind of felt like out of a I different didn't, film. It didn't bother me because I think the the main through fair of the whole film is his relationship with his daughter and i think mm-hmm. that there had to be some i'm more, I mean, I'm, I'm, you're, I'm you're more talking about when he goes on stage and like the music starts swelling and yeah. it, it just kind of seemed out of out of something like well, i think it, it seemed contrary to the tone of the rest of the movie i think it's that but i think also that um the the shot of him uh, the, the very last shot of the movie yeah. i think it, it, it goes with that section of him walking out i think you, if you take it all sort of together that last part mm. um i think it works right but i won't ruin the last shot of the movie because it's i think it's interesting it'd it be yeah. it, it, it's um, interesting to talk about very very minor quibbles in a very entertaining yeah, film it's for a sure good, it's, a, it's a good pick well you you stole my thunder with my, my favorite film of the year a little bit ryan oh my gosh but as we pre-agreed yeah that this should happen with my number one film i was gonna wait and give it its due okay <laughs> um the the best film of the year for me is Ex Machina. Wow. I uh, – what can you say? I mean, sometimes a movie is just perfect, at least in your eyes. It's nothing – you would change nothing, mm-hmm. not a single frame. Interesting. Okay. Uh, it's Alex Garland's directorial debut. He is typically known as a screenwriter, famous for working on Danny Boyle's movies, uh, Sunshine 28 Days Later, and – he also wrote one of my favorite films of 2010 called Never Let Me Go. Uh, this film, I think this film's a classic. Um, it's inside its plotting and its visual language is just such a great understanding, I think, of what makes compelling drama. And it has flat out the best characterization in the year, I would contend. Um, I don't know if, if, this, if, this, if this occurred to you, but I, I think that there's not really a true antagonist in this film. I think there's not a true antagonist, and there's not a true protagonist. I think it can uh, shift. It, it shifts, exactly. Depending on what point in the movie you're watching, you may empathize with a completely different character. And I found that just absolutely riveting and completely unpredictable. Uh, I different. Think, that's not something you... I mean, that's not something you go into a film thinking that that's going to happen. Right. And then all of a sudden it just goes, and you're like, I'm on board with this. Right. Um, this it, is it, happening. It was this triumvirate that kept seesawing, yeah. and I would change who I identified with. And I think that this is a really ethically murky scenario that this movie is, is living <laughs> it's positing, in. yeah. Right. It's like, you know, Ava, I'll just, I'll just say this, Ava is, I think, the most indelible creation of 2015. I uh, I was floored by her. I think it's... You know, she's her whole personification is just without shape. Like, is she is her minute to minute attentiveness like the product of a supercomputer that's you know that's weighing every single permutation of a scene, or is there some 
truly human quality that's transcending all of that. Uh, is she playing an angle in her scenes, or is there some genuineness and sincerity that kind of come out in the beginning? Like, we just don't know. Is she, I mean, if she is truly aware, if she, if she is, if she has consciousness, like the film says, if she passes the Turing test, uh, it, it, you know, at what point does her containment constitute a crime? Like, these are always all things that I had just <laughs> swirling in my head as this thing was unfolding. And uh, the characterization, like I said, is brilliant. I think, again, Don Hall Gleason, along with Alicia Vikander, <laughs> two, yeah. of the, two of these three stars had the best years in recent memory just in terms of what they associated with. Um, I, I love... Uh, the Oscar Isaac character, mm -hmm. Nathan, who's this uh, kind of, you think he's going to be this like reclusive nerd guy. And then the uh, the Caleb character kind of shows up at his isolated postmodern house. Forest that, uh, slash getaway. Yeah. Slash research center. And he's like, what's our first shot of, of, of Nathan? He's, he's boxing. <laughs> he just had a late night drinking the night before. He's like, He's like a frat guy programming billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> right? He completely it just just re, like rejects what the the character you think you're going to get. Um, I I love how there's just so much uh, there's just so much weighing on what's right and wrong. And honestly, I don't know the answers to most of them in this film because like, is she really aware? Like again, these questions just keep swirling, and I. I just there's no true villain in this movie, and if if you think there, I think everybody at various stages acts completely logically, and if you think there is a villain, like I would love to hear what you think. And yeah, and why? Be, I'm, I'm open to being talked out of it, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, just a triumph of functional production design. I mean, this house is just uh, is so crucial to how this movie plays out. One, it's like it's out in the middle of nowhere. It kind of melds nature and technology which of course ties into the theme of the movie uh it's just decked out in just these rooms that are like you know depending on where you are it's how much you see and uh it keeps things very suspenseful uh the the visual effects are just are so seamless um there's a a scene i'm thinking of uh one of the showcase visual effects scenes where Ava decides to surprise Caleb when he's interviewing her a little bit and she goes out of frame and she starts putting a lot of clothes on. Right. And aside from just the seamless wizardry happening there, like it's just, it's such a chill inducing moment for me when she steps out and sees Caleb's reaction. Cause of course we find out later that some of this was calculated before Caleb even got there. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a really special scene and it really stuck with me. Um, and I also love, you brought it up. And I hate to reveal anything about my favorite scene of the year, <laughs> but who saw the dance coming? Nobody. Like in, it's like it, that it, it did, this movie didn't need that to be my favorite film of the year, but it made it a whole lot easier to swallow. Yeah. And you're uh, glad that it's there once it's over. Cause with. the movie's so coldly logical and, and steady by the time it gets there. And then, you know, Oscar Isaac just starts breaking out into a disco number and he's, yeah. A phenomenal dancer. Can we just say that? And I guess on the special features of the Blu-ray, apparently there's an Easter egg where you can watch a longer version of that scene. And I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get that and check that out. I think <laughs> absolutely. And it's it's like it's almost like Garland's kind of winking at us, where he says like, "I will take risks. I'm, I'll wink at you. I'll have a little fun, and I'll take some dramatic liberties." 
and see if you go along with me. And I absolutely did. It's it's my, it's my favorite film of the year. Get along for the ride. Yeah. Well, my... Wait, wait, actually, one more there, fact. Oh, I yes. Have to tell you. Facts. There is one more... Um, <laughs> there's, there's one more thing I wanted to say. It's just a, a little behind-the-scenes touch that the director throws in where the sound design and score again are also huge aspects of this film because they're kind of ambient. They're very techy. It's almost like... It's like a melancholy, but it's really playful at the same time. And there's a sound effect that I love whenever a character in the film puts a key card into the door. And it makes a little, boom, you know, kind of sound. And I was looking that up because <laughs> I have that kind of time. And the sound is actually the same sound that the Android operating system makes. <laughs> oh. So, well, I have Android. I'll have to check that out. Too. I think it's called the, the T-E-J-A-T is how it's spelled. Yeah, okay. Tejot. I don't know, but Alex Garland. Hats off. A scent, an, another, uh, a, a nice little wink at the sentient being of an android, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, we still thunder again with my number one as well. Um, uh, I shuffled around some papers when we were talking about it, but my number one is Spotlight. Uh, I think, uh, really, I mean, in terms of, you talk about classics. You talk about all the president's men. You talk about movies that deal with similar journalistic integrity and journalistic uh, themes and things like that. And this belongs right up there with them. Um, if you are skittish about seeing this movie because of the subject matter, uh, get over it and go see it if you haven't already. Right. Um, you're missing out on a fantastic film, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like we talked about, it harkens back newspaper journalism i mean 15 years ago and and dealing with this stuff um you know also too again my 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 theme that i've found is i'm I'm coming in is that it's people acting real and they're not you know basically i think eddie redmayne might win for the danish girl no don't i hope he doesn't no i mean Okay. Yeah, you could. Anyway, no. I I, 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 I don't want to sully. I don't want to sully it. But I just think that I have words for Tom Hooper. But I think yeah. No, I I I think that (laughs) it's more interesting for me, and I think it's more of a challenge to see these people inhabit these normal people, and you have to just do normal people things, a normal actor, and you're not being showy, but by be but but you're you are just. In the moment, you're living in the moment. You're living as this person, and you're having to inhabit this person, and not like, you know, I'm gonna change my face and change all this stuff and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it could have been really incredibly boring and uninteresting, I think, right. because the subject matter is is grotesque, and what they do, it's basically a lot of knocking on on doors, and it's a lot of speaking with people who live through the time and things like that, mm-hmm. but kind of like the big short and and uh steve jobs it kind of lives or dies with the performances of the actors and this is a wonderful ensemble of just fantastic actors just at the top of their game mm-hmm. lee f schreiber we talked about you know a calming effect with the characters and with the right. and, with, and with the audience as well it's a perfect marriage of, of every aspect of filmmaking um coming together and creating something truly great and truly yeah. something memorable I could not believe I wanted to see it again after it was over. Like the next yeah. day I was thinking about it. It's one of the tests of a great film. And yeah. I'm just like, I really want to see that movie again. And I yeah. haven't gotten a chance to yet, but I'd like to go back and revisit it mm-hmm. and check it out. I mean, even the, cause even what it leaves you with the, um, 
all the countries that oh, uh, that 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 have had similar yeah. issues. It leaves you with. I mean, my hometown showed up in that list. Yeah, that it's city list. What is it like? Five pages of just mm-hmm. fill, filling the screen with different cities that have swept this under the rug. It is a, a, a deplorable, mm-hmm. but that image itself, those images, just says it all, really. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. and it leaves you with that. And it's 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 a bit of a downer, but. But it, it gets it, it elicits some kind of reaction. It elicits something. Yeah, I mean, it just, from it, you, it, it, it just champions this this mode of of investigation that you feel like is kind of fighting for its life right now in a lot of ways in terms of who's going to fund it, you know. And it's 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 a it's a get your hands dirty approach to uh, approach to stories. You like, know, do people really want to read these types of stories anymore in the time? And it's mm-hmm. like, no, this stuff needs to be told. And it, and and. And when you do see things, these long form pieces on on online or even in the newspaper and like that, I mean, it's a big deal. These yeah. big big stories, um, and uh, kind of need more people like the spotlight team to right. fact check and fact check and fact check and go back again and go back again and interview right. and re-interview and find things and everything. And even an underrated part of the the um, cast. We didn't really talk about it. Stanley Tucci's in this movie too. Yeah, yeah. I and, mean, it's just another great actor. Yeah, part of the ensemble, and it's just a, another cog in the machine that makes this movie go. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that it it definitely needs to be seen, uh, whether you're a Catholic, whether you're a Christian, yeah. anything. I mean, it's I mean, it's it, very, I mean, it's very just, good. It's kind of cathartic. I mean, not cathartic, but it's like you, you, it's it's a point that you have to accept if you want to live in 2016 that this happened, and you know face it you know mm-hmm. to see what happened i'm and again getting back to the betrayal it's like i could see how so many people would not want to see it because i mean this is i mean this is riveting cinematic stuff it's made for the screen it's like it's a visual page turner but it just it it crackles i mean it, it just touches on so many raw nerves because i mean what do you got you got this very thorough crack team of investigators right and they're they're going after they're trying to unveil this like web of deceit uh, perpetrated by the people who are supposed to be safeguarding the mor- the moral concerns of the public. Yeah. You know, like these are the last people on earth that you want to be investigating, and the inst- and the institution makes it very clear that that's how these people should feel. <laughs> yeah, and it and it's almost it's almost interesting. Like they didn't really understand what they were getting into. And oh, it that's... was so small when they first yeah. started. And there's that specific scene where Rachel McAdams knocks on somebody's door, random guy's door, and he just starts talking about how, yeah, he did it. It was not a big deal at the time. And yeah. she's just like, Oh God, what are you talking about? Like, right. why are you, you know, and just furiously writing like this sort of thing was just accepted and just people did the pain. it. Just yeah. And, and relegated the pain to the past. Yeah. It's that Catholic guilt, man. I tell you. <laughs> So number one spotlight. Well, Mar- yeah, this was a good. I mean, very different lists. We had some overlap. I, I mean, last year we had the same number one, and that was cool. And this is, you know, even cooler that we championed different films this yeah. year. Um, I mean, I really I'm really co- looking forward to seeing Phoenix. I'm, yeah. I, I really want to check that one out. I oh, think it's the most. It's it's excellent. Um, I mean, I told you I had a ton of movies that just missed the cut. Did you have honorable mentions this year? Uh, yeah. I th- well, Room was on there. I had uh, really, really quickly. Let's blow through Room, Sicario, Carol, Creed, Star Wars, and Inside Out. Those are my. <sighs> Those are all top ten films. Yeah. <laughs> in any seriously. Other year. No, you're right. <laughs> I I had uh, I had Sicario. I had Love and Mercy. That film, the best performances of Paul Dano and John Cusack's career, in my opinion. Uh, Bone Tomahawk, a horror western I really wanted to loved, see that. I really loved to see that. this year. 
contains maybe the grossest thing I've ever seen in film. Um, Tangerine. I don't know if you saw, did you see this one? No, this it's actually really funny. It's a screwball comedy that takes place in a subculture that most of us I'm going to go out and say aren't familiar with. Uh, Inside Out, uh, MI Rogue Nation. Yeah. I think, I, I couldn't believe, I thought for sure that was going to make my list this year. I think it's the, it's the best out of all the series. The Martian, we didn't talk about that at all. Uh, Steve Jobs. Yeah. The Assassin, the Wuxia film from Ho Shao Shen. That gets my cinematography and production design Oscar this year. The Lobster. Oh, yeah, and I really want to see that. I I really did, It's not technically out yet. I acquired it. Um, (laughs) That is a weird fucking movie. Uh, The Big Short, Diary Mm -hmm. of a Teenage Girl. Uh, Got Anomalisa, Kingsman. It just keeps going on and on, man. A lot of things that could have made it. That's that's a pretty nice top ten list that you just read off right there. That's probably somebody's <laughs> that's a top, top ten. That's list. a really nice top fifteen yeah. list. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I feel like one one curious thing I noticed is that neither of us had the hateful eight or the revenant in our mm-hmm. list this year, and I think we should we should cut it off here. We've we've done a pretty good chunk of time, but yeah. maybe we could do a discussion on that as like some bonus a postscript or a something. postscript or something because I think we need to get into those two movies. I think we probably could. All right, so stay tuned for that. Let's, let's cut it off here. Uh, for another great year in film, I am Clayton Shank. I'm Ryan McCarran. Thank you for listening to the McShank cast. See you next year. Bye-bye.